Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Part two of our NFC North opponent preview is brought to you by SeatGeek. Let SeatGeek take the confusion out of your ticket buying experience. Instead of shopping dozens of sites to find the best deal, let SeatGeek do the work for you. Their app scans the web for all the best deals to your favorite games, concerts, shows, what have you, and rates them on a scale of 0 to 10 to let you know if you're getting the best bang for your buck. I've been having some trouble with that sentence lately. A green dot marks great deals, a yellow dot good deals, and a red dot not so good. Use promo code ACAA at checkout to receive $20 off your first purchase that's two free beers at the stadium. I don't know why you'd pay 10 bucks for a beer, but if you do, the first two are on uh, the first two are on SeatGeek. So what are you waiting for? That's promo code ACAA for $20 off your first purchase. At SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. Part 2 of the NFC North preview is also brought to you by MyBookie. It's hard to believe but football is almost back. That means it's time to make an account at the best online sports book known to man. That's right. I'm talking about my bookie. With an easy, no-hassle mobile site, 24-7 customer service, and bets on every sport and prop imaginable, MyBookie provides a fun, safe betting experience. And if you deposit today, MyBookie will give you a 50% deposit bonus. That's right. You put in 100, they'll give you 50. You put in 1,000, they give you 500. It's just that easy. Football season is still a few weeks away, but it's never too soon to get your account set up. So head on over to mybookie.ag and sign up today with promo code BEARS100. That's promo code BEARS100. At mybookie, you play, you win, you get paid. Part two of our NFC North preview brings forth the Green Bay Packers. So my guest, as always, when it comes to anything Green Bay, Evan Western from SB Nation's Acme Packing Company, and uh, just like I said in the before Jeremy's episode, despite his allegiance, and especially with this guy, he's a Packer fan for Christ's sake. Despite his allegiances, I am a big fan of the guy, and I do enjoy talking to him. So sit back, relax, and enjoy talking about the 2019 Green Bay Packers with our good friend from Acme Packing Company, Evan Western. Part two of our NFC North preview, talking about the Green Bay Packers. We, we're halfway done after this one, and we got the Vikings, then our beloved Chicago Bears, and then we move on and get ready for the preseason, for training camp, and then, of course, the 2019 regular season. What's going on, everybody? Larity back for part two of our NFC North opponent preview, featuring the Green Bay Packers this time around, our most hated rival, and the team up first for our beloved Chicago Bears week one 2019 kicking off the entire season with the kickoff game on Thursday night football September the 5th can't wait for that one it's like literally like today is July the 5th so two months from today two months from today we're kicking it off with Green Bay 
at the Soldier Field, and I cannot wait. I'm absolutely jacked in case you couldn't tell. But uh, before we get to our interview uh, with Evan, I did want to share something. Uh, I, I failed to do it last weekend on the actual anniversary of it uh, when we released the Cowboys show. But a uh, little bit of an off-the-subject thing uh, for you guys. Don't really have any, any news or notes to, uh, to bring forth uh, to you. Uh, I'm actually uh, recording this before uh, the holiday, so I'm releasing it on Friday. So by the time you hear this on the 5th, it'll be two months until uh, the game goes. But um, So last Friday was June the 28th, and June the 28th of this year, obviously, 2019, uh, was the 23rd anniversary of the day that my favorite band of all time, KISS, launched their long-awaited uh, reunion tour when uh, Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley reunited with original members Ace Fraley and Peter Chris kicked off their reunion show, uh, their reunion tour uh, in Detroit, Michigan at uh, Tiger Stadium in front of somewhere between 45 and 50,000 uh, fans. Uh, the, the show was, uh, you know, it had its glitches. I've actually seen it. Uh, they released it as part of one of their DVD box sets uh, a few years back. And, um, you know, you could kind of see there were some first night mistakes in there. Some somebody missed this, somebody missed that and whatnot. But by the time I got to see them about three weeks later uh, on July the 16th, and I still have my ticket, July 16th was actually the second night in Chicago. I remember very vividly my dad and I went to go and stand in line at Ticketmaster when that was still a thing. And I mean standing in line. Ticketmaster obviously still exists, but standing in line for tickets. Uh, I think the Ticketmaster was at the J.C. Penney or something like that. My dad and I are standing in a line that's about three miles long and about five minutes into tickets going on sale, somebody from inside comes out and says, the show is sold out. So everyone is obviously dejected. There are a lot of people who have either A, not seen Kiss in a really long time or have seen Kiss during their non-makeup era or never seen Kiss at all. Dejected, my father included, who's who was uh, around in the 70s when they were basically the Backstreet Boys of rock and roll and they were absolutely everywhere, you know, lunch pails and, you know, stuff like that. They had a TV of the um, movie of the week on TV, Kiss Meets the Phantom back in 1978 uh, uh, and everything. And uh, he hadn't, you know, he'd been taking me to Kiss shows since 88, but every Kiss show that I had ever seen was the non-makeup era with Gene and Paul and then Bruce Kulick and uh, Eric Singer uh, at the Revenge Tour and then the previous shows were Eric Carr before he passed away. So this was going to be my first chance to see Kiss as God intended with the makeup, with the costumes, the lights, the bombs, the whole nine yards. And the guy comes out and says the show is sold out. But he says after everyone gets done cursing at him, but they've added a second show. So those tickets are going on sale now. And um I'll never forget this show. It was epic beyond anything that I had ever, uh, that I could have ever hoped for, really. I mean, I'm just uh, getting flashbacks uh, just thinking about it. You know, it was my dad and I uh, that were there, uh, plus some drunken dickhead that he got tickets for from work. I don't remember who this guy was. I don't remember his name to this day. All I know was that my dad had to separate me from him because, A, he wouldn't leave me alone, and then, B, to top things off, he spilled beer 
on my shoulder and I damn near punched him out right there before the concert started. So my dad actually had to, I, my dad was sitting on my right side. My dad pulled me to his right so that I could sit in his seat. He sat in mine to put some distance between me and this guy before I punched him out in the middle of this, this arena. I was only 18 uh, at the time, just full of piss and vinegar. And this dickhead just dripped uh, beer on my shoulder on my brand new t-shirt, man. I had bought a shirt for my uh, for my uh, university, the one that I was going to uh, in about a month's time, and uh, this guy spilled beer on it before the show even started. So anyway, once I finally calmed down, the house lights went black, the, you know, the lights and everything, the huge kiss curtain drops down with the kiss logo uh, on the front, uh, you know, the, 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 the intro, the famous intro, you wanted the best, you got the best, the hottest band in the world, kiss, boom, the, the, you know, the, 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 the intro to Deuce, uh, comes on and the, the there's a big explosion the curtain drops the lights go up and there they are there they are just it was kiss it was it was kiss man it was kiss it was all of them ace and peter along with peter or excuse me along with paul uh and gene in their costumes uh they were tailored after the love gun uh 1977 78 uh, costume. I'm throwing a lot of information at you guys. I hope you can keep up. There will be a quiz afterwards. And um, here's the thing. When I saw them for the first time, as I said before, as God intended, uh, I got to admit, uh, I cried. I absolutely cried. I could not believe it. All that time, I would see like those videos in the late 80s and early 90s, those concert videos, Michael Jackson, seeing people crying, passing out, having to be, you know, you know, carried away from the uh, arena and everything never made any sense to me until that moment. It never made any sense to me because I had seen Kiss before uh, at least three or four times before this time. But like I said, they were non makeup shows. Uh, It wasn't the same. The music was still great, but it wasn't kiss, kiss. You know what I mean? And as soon as they were standing there, the first person my eyes got pulled to was, of course, Gene Simmons, who is, you know, you may not know the kiss or their music, but you know that face when you see it. And there it was standing right there in front of me. He's actually the demon himself is here. I started freaking out. And, you know, before I even knew it, I have tears streaming down my face. I'm crying. This is that's how how awesome I thought that was. And I sang every song at the top of my lungs. My ears were ringing after the show. Um, and it was it was amazing. It was the first of, I believe, 13, 13 or 14, 14, 14 in makeup that I've seen since then. I saw them once on the reunion tour that night. I saw them again, uh, Psycho Circus, uh, two years later in 98. Uh, I saw them once on the Farewell Tour, the first one, uh, in 2000. And I saw them again a few years later when they came back and toured with Aerosmith in 03. I saw them twice uh, on that tour. And then again in 04. You guys get the idea. And uh, just now on their on their farewell tour, the actual farewell tour, the retirement tour, if you will, um, I've seen them twice so far in uh, March of this year. I saw them once on March 2nd, again on March the 10th. Both were amazing, fantastic shows, despite the fact that Gene turned 70 uh, in August. Paul is kicking the hell out of 60. He's in the later half of that decade. So the guys are getting old, but uh, they still do it better than anybody. 
uh, in my opinion. So, like I said, I didn't have any news or notes that I wanted to that I had to share with you guys. So I just wanted to go ahead and, and throw in that little uh, nugget. Had all kinds of fun memories swirling around in my head, thinking about uh, the anniversary of that show, and then going to see them for the first time on that tour. I mean, I'd seen them in home videos and and all that kind of stuff, but nothing. Nothing beats the real thing right there in front of you. And uh, with, you know, the whole show, everything that I'd ever wanted to see, uh, Gene Simmons flying to the top of the arena, uh, Ace Fraley doing his solo and shooting rockets and the smoking guitar and, uh, you know, everything else. It was amazing. Absolutely amazing. And for nostalgia's sake, it's probably my favorite Kiss show uh, of them all. Although the ones that I just saw in March were pretty kick ass, too. But that one, I think, was the most special. The first one with the original members uh, and everything. I got to see the originals together three times, I think, all together uh, before it was done. So, um, yeah, just an amazing, amazing memory. My only regret about that show was that it is literally the only show that I've been to that I didn't come away with a, a program. Uh, because I've, al- I've always been a big guy, always a little too big for the T-shirts they were selling. Uh, so I wasn't going to spend 35 or 40 bucks on a shirt that would just sit in my closet and never be able to fit into it. So I always got programs and I didn't get one uh, for the reunion tour. So I got one for Psycho Circus, the, the farewell tour in 2000 and everyone that's followed since then. And uh, but I didn't get one for the reunion tour. I've always regretted that. So but otherwise, fantastic memories. Hanging out with my dad, almost got into a fist fight in the show <laughs> before it got started, but uh, it was a good time. And uh, so, like I said, uh, seeing that uh, the 28th was the anniversary of the tour kicking off, that brought back the memories of the first time I saw Kiss, as I like to say, as God intended, with makeup and costumes and the bombs and the explosions, the lights, and uh, you know all their little stunts and everything that they did. It was amazing. So anyway... Now that I've bored you to death listening to that, let's go ahead and uh, get into this preview for the Green Bay Packers, part number two of our NFC North opponent preview with Evan Western from Acme Packing Company. Part two of our NFC North preview takes us to the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field, home of the Green Bay Packers. And here to help us preview these 2019 Packers, despite his allegiances, our good friend, Evan Western from Acme Packing Company. Evan, how we doing, man? Doing great. Doing great. Looking forward to a uh, hopefully a turnaround season this year. It was a little rough last year, man. I bet. That- I bet. After Welcome. week one, it was all down. Yeah, it was all downhill from there. Oh, you had to throw that in there, didn't you? <laughs> of course. After week one, the glory of week one, it was kind ah. of downhill uh, from there. But uh, yeah, I was uh, I was going to ask you, you know, it's or for for starters, a welcome to our world uh, where <laughs> the off season sucks and the season wasn't much better, and uh, you know, new coaches coming in and the. Uh, the prospect of it not working out and all that kind of stuff. Uh, even though the last few coaching changes have worked out pretty well for you guys, uh, maybe this one won't, fingers <laughs> crossed. But uh, anyway, so let's talk real quick about 2018. Obviously, the we had a bananas week one encounter where the Khalil Mack coming out party for the Bears 
for the first half the resurgence of Aaron Rodgers and the mythology that was created by Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels going crazy over just amplifying something like what he was doing was great all on its own and they just had to make it a thousand times bigger because of the the knee injury that drove me crazy but um you know from then on as you said it was not a uh, not a cakewalk you tie week two against Minnesota you have uh, later on you have that tough loss against the Redskins and you know it just did not get off to a good start and it just seemed like the team was never really able to recover yeah, and and I think you, you can look back at that injury that Rodgers had in that first game, and and that obviously was a, a, a big factor throughout the season because he relies so much on his mobility. He has for years, and and even more so in recent years, when it seemed like he stopped playing within the the Mike McCarthy system, or or rather when the Mike McCarthy system stopped working and he started playing more backyard ball. Right. right? I mean, he's 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 become the master of the broken play. And when, you know, he's hobbling around on one bad leg, um, that obviously is, uh, kind of saps that, um, that particular just innate ability and, and skill that he has a little bit. So that, that was part of it. Um, and I think you really finally saw the, the breakdown of McCarthy's scheme in its totality. Um, you know, the, the, the team just doesn't have the horses that it did in 2011 at the receiving position mm-hmm. when they had that just insane group of receivers. And, yeah, at that point he could go, you know, throw out 4-5 wide and call a bunch of ISO routes and they'd beat their guys one-on-one and Rodgers would have guys to throw to wide open in rhythm and it was great. And when you have one guy in Devontae Adams who can reliably do that play after play after play, it just doesn't really work. Right. So I think that kind of gets to the core of, of what the problems were on offense. Um, and, you know, that kind of led to this this downward spiral that really we've seen for the last couple of years in, in the Packers offense. So let's talk about McCarthy and, and, and the issues there, because there was a an article that came out. I'm sure you read it. I don't know if it was The Athletic or, or whatever it was that that put out that that article that basically detailed how the relationship not only was was it not working last year, but had been breaking down for several years uh, and everything, and, and how McCarthy was increasingly frustrated by the fact that Rodgers basically changed every play that came into the huddle and uh, and, and what have you, and, and kind of also kind of led to the worries about whether or not the, the Matt LaFleur thing is going to work out because he's so used to doing his own thing with, without, with, with McCarthy there. Yeah, it's... Uh... I tend to think that the Lafleur stuff is a little overblown and is a little bit presumptuous at this sure, point. Sure, sure. Right. I mean, you had. Let's look back about 15 years ago when a young kind of hotshot coach came in and was t- tasked with revitalizing Brett Favre's career. Right. Um, Mike McCarthy got through to Brett Favre, which you know a lot of people didn't think that that Brett Favre would ever be be able to change around but you know that 2007 season he had a great year and and took the Packers to the NFC championship so i think where where it comes down to for Rodgers to me is that i suspect that he wasn't being challenged mentally and that's something that that i think he craves he always wants to be kind of pushing himself i mean he's he's a really intelligent guy right and you know it, that's always something that 
I think he has, has always craved, and this gives him an opportunity to, to really dive into a new playbook and learn a new scheme. Um, and the audible thing and, and the changing of the plays, I think what they, need, what they need to find, and I think what they probably will find, is some sort of happy medium, right? Um, you're not going to have the freedom that, that Rodgers had to, to change the play if it gets called into the huddle and he doesn't like it. But basically every time that LaFleur calls a play in, you're going to get multiple play calls, and Rodgers can pick from those what what makes the most sense to him. Right. And he'll have a little bit of flexibility at the line of scrimmage if he sees something. Um, you know that I think will still be there. But I, I think for the most part, you know, it, it, it to me comes down to the fact that McCarthy's offense just didn't work anymore. No. You know, and and Rodgers is a smart guy, and he realized that. And and I think that more than anything was the reason why he was changing so many of these plays was he was recognizing, look, this isn't going to work with the personnel that we have and the matchups that we have. And so I think that's why he was changing the play. You didn't see him doing that all the time in, at least as far as we know, back in 2011 and 2013 and 2014 when he was winning MVP awards. Right. And and it all kind of broke down in 2015 when Jordy Nelson tore his ACL and the Packers really had no um, consistent veteran receivers on that team. And and since then, it's been a struggle to to get this passing game back to to where it was before that. And I'm hoping that a a new system, a new version of the West Coast offense, um, coming from that that Kyle Shanahan tree, um, is hopefully that's just what the doctor ordered for Rogers and company. So let's talk about this new head coach uh, of yours. Um, were you were you happy with the hire, or were you like me initially? Uh, when they announced like the five or six candidates that the Bears interviewed for the head coaching job, of course, Matt Nagy was at the bottom of the list as far as like this is, you know, the guys that I want uh, and everything. Where did Lafleur rank on the list of guys that they were talking to and were you initially happy with the hire? Yeah, I think everybody kind of had their their bets hedged on Josh McDaniels being the guy. Mm. Um, that I think that is certainly where where I was leaning towards where they were going to go. And I think that if you had a McDaniels-Aaron Rodgers pairing, I think that those two could have worked if they kind of turned full heel together, right? <laughs> and basically said, F you to the rest of the NFL. We're going to go on a scorched earth tour and and just destroy everything in our way. Sure. Um, I think that could have worked uh, if they did it right. I think there's a much better chance of Lafleur and and Rodgers clicking than, than I think they're, the 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 explosive potential is probably a little lower both you know explosive in a good way and explosive in a bad way with with Lafleur than it would have been with McDaniels but really the rest of the candidates didn't jump out to me I remember Jim Caldwell was in the mix they they interviewed Jim Joe Philbin you know the the interim coach at the end of the year um I don't think anybody I don't think anyone was really particularly excited about him There, there weren't a whole lot of names really outside of McDaniels that made you go okay this is this is the the offensive mind that that we think, you know, can can bring Rodgers, you know, to to a level where, uh, or back to that MVP level again. Um, but I think the the reaction with once Lafleur was hired, the initial reaction was kind of, huh, okay, um, we need to find out why he was the guy. Yeah, and especially after leading the the Titans offense last year, which ended up finishing, you know, somewhere in the twenties. And and it wasn't it wasn't great. And and after that being really his only only year calling plays, 
But I think the more we we dug into his background, kind of where he came from, again, yeah, he was he was in L.A. with Sean McVay, but really he comes more out of the Shanahan side of of the the West Coast tree than the McVeigh side. I think the similarities there with Shanahan are more prevalent. And when you when you look back into his background, I mean, he played quarterback. He was Matt Ryan's quarterback coach in Atlanta when when he had that MVP year a couple years ago. Um, I think you know this this hire was always going to be about Rodgers and and getting him back on track. And I think everybody knew that. And and I think they've given themselves, given the candidates who are out there, the best chance. To, to get someone who can get to Rogers and develop a good partnership with him. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, pairing because isn't Rogers older than LaFleur? Not quite. LaFleur is 39. 39. Is, okay. Yeah. Rogers okay. is 35. Right. Okay. Yeah. So Rogers has been in the league, but it's forever. kind of a similar age gap again to, to McCarthy and Favre. Favre sure. was 36. Uh, McCarthy, I want to say, was 41 when when he got hired in 2006. So, um, you know, I don't want to say we've been here before and we've done it and it's going to be fine, hmm. but it's not, you know, it, it's something that we have seen before. So there's at least a possibility that this can work out. Yeah, I'm, I was wondering how Packer fans felt about the Lafleur uh, hire because I didn't see much online or, or anything like that when the hire was was made, and I, I just remember how I felt about when McCarthy got hired. He had a similar pedigree in the fact that his, his years calling plays for the 49ers were not impressive. Mm-hmm. I was like, this guy called like, he was like 29th or something like that. And yep. Alex Smith really hasn't done much of anything in the time that he's been calling plays for Alex Smith and whatnot. I thought it was a joke that they hired him. Like this is going to be a disaster and I can't wait to see it. <laughs> And how wrong I turned out to be with that one, at least for the first several years uh, of, uh, you know, of McCarthy being in charge there. So we'll see uh, how it works out. I, I, I didn't have the same feeling about Lafleur because of the McVeigh uh, coaching tree, if you will, mm-hmm. and, and having spent time uh, with him and, and knowing that maybe he wasn't the guy calling the plays, but he was at least had something to do with the game plans that seemed to work week in and week out. Uh, for uh, for the Rams out there in in 2017, so I guess I'm I'm more inclined to give him the benefit of the doubt as opposed to just completely writing off McCarthy the way that I did when he got hired. So maybe it's a cautious <laughs> a cautious thing that I'm doing is because yeah. I just don't want to have to eat my words the way I did with McCarthy. <laughs> that was ridiculous. I mean, yeah, I I thought there's no way in hell this is ridiculous. I'm so glad they made this hire McCarthy. Are you kidding me right now? And then like, oh yeah, he's actually pretty awesome he's got a street named after him and a super bowl ring and yeah shows what the hell i know but uh <laughs> so anyway but we look into free agency and you were talking a minute ago about uh you know wide receiving core and and everything looking at free agency looking at the draft no wide receivers uh brought in and you lost randall cobb so i mean what's what's the plan here with with the offense are we just hoping that because I know you drafted a bunch of young guys last year. Is it? Yep. Is it? Are we getting guys back from injury this season that we're excited about? Why no moves at wide receiver in the off season? Well, there's there's two things at play here. One, um, yes, we are getting a big player back from injury. That's Geronimo Allison. Um, I think people around the NFL are really sleeping on how good he can be and and how good he will be this year. I mean, he was really probably 
arguably the better Packers receiver in the first four games of the season before he got hurt. He was uh, he had more receiving yards than even Devontae Adams had in those first four games. So you're looking at a guy who he'll probably honestly be the the Packers' main slot receiver for at least the, the start of this season. But um, he was on almost, a, I think, an 80, 90 yards per game clip in the first part of the season before he got hurt. So look for him to, to be a real big part of this offense. And um, you do have, you mentioned the young guys, um, Marquez Valdez-Scantling in particular, uh, be, beyond just being one of the best names in the NFL, he really showed up last year when the Packers needed somebody to step up. And, and he was a fifth-round pick last year, um, but he's he's a big guy. He's 6'4", 210 or so, um, ran a 4.37 at the Combine last year. And and so he's got that great deep speed. He can, he can really take the top off the defense. And with the offense going a little more play action than McCarthy used in the last couple of years, um, I think that's going to free up some some big opportunities for him to, to beat some safeties deep over the top. So there's there's pieces there. They, they might not be proven over the course of, of a long season, obviously besides Devontae Adams, who I think I told you last year coming into last season, I thought he was a top five receiver, and I, I, I think he did a pretty good job of, of backing me up on that one. But, um, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's the number one. He'll still get you know, 150, 160 targets in, in this season. But Valdez Scantling is a guy to watch for sure, and, and Allison's return is going to be big. And then you've got depth guys, too, that are – Developing Equinemius St. Brown, another one of the rookies last year, the Notre Dame guy, um, he had a real promising start to, to his career last year too. So I, watching these guys develop a little bit, hearing, you know, hearing everything coming out of practice and, and everything this spring, um, I, I'm, I'm confident that they made the right calls at receiver, not overpaying for a Randall Cobb. I mean, basically you took the $5 million that they could have paid Cobb to, to keep him around and put that towards the defense, which, let's face it, that's that's where the Packers have needed the better um, improvements personnel-wise anyway. So I think it was it was partially just allocation of resources, um, partially getting Allison back from injury, and then counting, counting on the rookies from last year to develop into year two. Yeah, so you talked about the improvements on the defensive side. Uh, Clay Matthews is gone. He's in L.A. and upset that somebody's already wearing 52. Uh, Jake Ryan, uh, inside linebacker, headed off to Jacksonville. Bashad Breeland, uh, the corner, is in Kansas City now. And I didn't see anything going on with Nick Perry or Muhammad Wilkerson yet. So any chance yep. that those guys come back? Now, Perry, um, I want to say he was having a little flirtation with Seattle, but I don't see any. There's no chance he's coming back. The Packers' outside linebacker room is full, and I'm sure we'll get to that pretty yeah. shortly. But um, And Wilkerson... Um, he still had that that bad broken ankle early last season, um, and so he probably can't pass a physical at this point. And he had some off the field uh, issues. I want to say he had a um, he was arrested at some point this off season. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, yeah, I don't see him coming back either. Um, they, they've made a little bit of additions on the defensive line as well. But yeah, I mean those are some big names from this defense that you know over the last several years that that are gone and yeah. and complete turnover really outside of. The, the one-year wonder, Kyler Fackrell, at the outside linebacker position. Right. So you got Zadarius Smith, the outside linebacker from Baltimore, Preston Smith, uh, the outside linebacker from Washington, some guy named Ad- Adrian Am- Amos? 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 Something. Like, I don't yeah. know. With some 
some guy. He's going to be back there making nine mil a season. And uh, the one offensive move that I saw of note was Billy Turner, the guard from Denver, being added to the uh, to the offensive line. Was was that an issue for you guys? I've always thought like the offensive line. I mean, I know you've had your injury issues. I remember talking to you uh, about that. Like you were worried about, yeah, our fifth and sixth tackles are going to be starting in this game <laughs> against the Bears, and then you went ahead and kicked the crap out of us anyway. Um, but I mean, has the offensive line uh, been an issue that you have to keep going out and sign? Is, or is Billy Turner going to be a depth guy for you? Yeah, last year the right guard position was a nightmare. Mm. Um, they they had Jari Evans in there from New Orleans the year before, and and he was a solid, steady veteran player. But they they expected Justin McCray, who who had a nice year as kind of a reserve. Um, all-around backup guy in 2017. They expected him to take a big step forward last year and grab that right guard's starting job, and he just did not live up to those expectations. So going out and getting Turner, you've got him slotting in immediately at right guard as the starter, but he's also athletic enough and big enough he could slide out to tackle. So in the event that Brian Balaga misses a couple of games, which, let's face it, that's a pretty strong likelihood that, that he'll miss two to four games next season. Right. Um, you've got probably Turner can slide out to, to right tackle, and then you can you know put in a spot starter like a, like a McRae or like an Elton Jenkins, the, the rookie out of Mississippi State. One of those guys can slide in for a couple games on the interior. But, yeah, that right guard position last year was just a mess. So having that locked down, um, that's going to that's gonna be real big for this team uh, in, in this season for sure. So now we move on to the to the draft, and the draft was uh, going to be a big night uh, for the Packers because the thanks to last year's trade, you had two first round picks uh, to play with uh, this year. Uh, you spent the first one on Rashawn Gary out of Michigan, and from what I understand, what I remember about draft night, this was not a popular <laughs> pick. You got that right. Yeah, it was. Uh... Packers fans fell into the trap of looking solely at the stat lines on on Rashawn Gary, at least early on, and seeing that he had, I think, eight sacks in three years or something like that at Michigan. Um, but what we've learned since then, and, and as we started learning in the, the hours after the draft, is everything that goes along with Gary. I mean, he's an, he's an amazing athlete. That part of it is, is not up for debate. I mean, right. he had probably the best workout of anybody more than 270 pounds in the history of the combine. Um, I mean, he runs sub four, six, he, he jumps 12 feet broad jump or something like that. It's, it's, it's absurd. I mean, he, he ran like a, a wide receiver at 275 pounds. Right. So, you know, if you can harness that athletic ability, obviously that's the, the key. But when we started learning more and more about his role at Michigan on that defense, you find out that basically he was lining up, over the the tackle or, or over the guard, and um, you know occasionally over the tight end, but it was he was always on the strong side, and he was there for one reason only, and that was to stop the run. And it was plug up that strong side and take up as many blockers as you can, and let the the linebackers let your your Chase Winovich on the weak side, and let Devin Bush clean up everything behind you. Um, and that's the reason why he didn't he didn't rack up a whole lot of of sacks and big statistics now he had a labrum injury in his shoulder and that kind of uh contributed to that a little bit but um you talk to anybody at the on that michigan coaching staff uh one of my one of my 
good Packers friends, uh, Peter Bukowski, who contributes to us at, at Acme Packing Company, he actually had Michigan's defensive coordinator on his podcast a couple months back. And, and, and Don Brown, all he was saying was he was raving about Gary as a player, as a guy off the field, on the field, and, and basically says, you know, this guy can do anything. He didn't do it at Michigan because we didn't ask him to do it. We asked him to do something very specific. So um, I think that's where the the concerns were is, oh, look, we, we drafted another guy who's already coming in injured, and you know he didn't have a whole lot of production in college. But when you dive deeper, I think the reasons are there. And the other nice thing about it is with the two Smiths in free agency, he's not going to be asked to start right away. So you can work him in situationally, get him rushing the passer, and hopefully maximize his impact on the plays that he is on the field. So, are you guys going to be three four or four three? You got a hybrid thing going on. What what are we gonna What are we gonna see from Green Bay on defense? Well, we're gonna see a lot of four two five nickel mm. um, or, or two four five, I should say. Um, that's pretty much the the base formation at this point under Mike Patton, um, who did come back under the the under Matt Lafleur after the coaching changes as coordinator. Right. Um, so you'll see a lot of. Um, Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels as the down linemen, and then you know your your usual kind of four linebacker setup with a couple of edge guys and a couple of, of off ball linebackers. But what you'll also probably see a lot of is Zadarius Smith and Rashawn Gary as one of those two down linemen, especially on on passing situations. Um, get the you'll probably even see um, four or five outside linebackers on the field at, at one time, and no true defensive linemen in. You know, third and long situations. So look for a lot of um, you know a lot of nickel snaps like the Packers have been using in in recent years. But they're going to move Zadarius Smith. They're going to move Gary around a lot with their hands in the dirt, um, standing up. Um, and, and what Petten loves to do is disguise his pressures and and be able to bring pressure from multiple different places on on a given play. So you can't really key in on one specific spot or one player. And so the the additions they've made this season, I think, really give Petten the ability to do that better. God, I love football, man. God, <laughs> I mean, you right? just you just think about you know, like I was watching uh, the thirty for thirty yesterday on the four falls of Buffalo, and mm. the the way the K gun was so innovative. Uh, at the time could an offense like that succeed today which is pretty much like the base offense for most nfl teams uh nowadays i mean it was so different in time the run and shoot that the oilers ran uh and everything which almost got warren killed warren moon killed in every game because there were no tight ends or fullbacks or anything but you know have fun trying to stop those guys uh and everything and now that's pretty much every offense you see uh in the nfl and then the defense had to get creative to match what was going on there and the first time we ever saw like the formation you just talked about a two four five was against buffalo in super bowl 25 when uh belichick put two down linemen in there you got lawrence taylor on one end you got carl banks on the other end those are your other two linebackers and then you got carson and reasons in the middle and everything there's your two four five to 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 uh combat the pass as opposed to trying to stop the run and let Thurman Thomas go nuts and stop the K-gun at all costs. I just love how you can't do this. I, you don't see it in any other sport. There's only so many different ways you can play baseball. There's only so many different ways you can play basketball or hockey or anything. You never really hear about the innovations in offense or defense in any of those sports. You hear it all the time 
in the NFL. These guys have to work overtime to be able to put a scheme out on the on the field that nobody's seen before. Try to come out with a creative way to get open because the they're, the athletes are getting better and better every single year, and you got to figure out a way to be able to beat that. And you know, listening to you talk about that and thinking about what Nagy did with the Bears last year and having a guy like Khalil Mack on my team is just it's 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 um, that's why I love watching the game because it's always changing it's always evolving baseball seems the same to me today that it did 30 years ago when i first started watching it so that's why i'm so crazy uh, about the about football it's just it's not like any other sport i don't care what anybody says it's why football coaches get paid the most right i mean yeah. they've got they've got by far the the most creativity and they have to you know it's it's so much of a chess match it's it's every time that that you know the offense or, or defensive trends kind of inch ahead you you have to respond to that and and it's it comes down to like you said it's scheme it's personnel it's it's um you know getting the right guys in there to to combat these trends it's yeah i i, I love that strategic aspect of it too i'm right there with you yeah i mean because just just think about you know what 12 13 years ago when every special teams coordinator in the nfl had a headache called devin hester <laughs> you know what do we got to do to stop this guy because he is he is dangerous every single time he touches the ball. And, and the, the key for a while there was just don't kick it to him. Kick it away. Mm-hmm. Kick it out of bounds. Let the offense try to figure it out. Do not give Hester any opportunity to, to return the ball because if he does, he's, he's, a touch, he's a potential touchdown every time he touches the ball. And then, there, you know, other guys coming out in, in, in football, guys, you know, going a little further back, but guys like Larry Johnson and Priest Holmes and, you know, so on and so forth. There's always that one athlete that automatically changes the game. And then we got to start thinking about, A, we got to find more guys like that. And then, B, we got to figure out how to stop that guy. And mm-hmm. there, it always kind of happens in the NFL. You almost never see it uh, in, in, in the other sports. And that's why I'm glued to football and I could care less about what's going on uh, in the other sports until the postseason comes around. Yeah. Well, I think recently, I mean, you look at the tight end position. I yeah. Mean, Jimmy Graham was that way a little bit early in his career. Gronk obviously became that guy. Now you've got the the Jason Kel- or the Travis Kelseys and the George Kittles and, you know, that that's kind of driving you towards having these cover safety linebacker hybrids. Right. Um, and, and I think that um, – that's going to be real interesting to see what the Packers do with the other first round pick, Darnell Savage. I yeah, mean, was... you've 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 got a guy who, you know, he's he's on the smaller side, but he's you know he's he's extremely fast. Um, he's he's going to be that kind of center field guy probably, but you know he's he's big and physical enough. He can cover tight ends and, and play in the box a little bit. Um, and we'll see what the Packers do with Josh Jones because he seemed like the guy who was tailor made for that position, right? That that weak side linebacker. Um, you know, two fifteen to two hundred twenty pound guy who can run, stay with the the tight ends and the running backs. Um, seems like he's kind of you know off the radar at this point. But but we're really excited about Savage, though. I mean, I think that's that's of all the picks that uh, that we have in, in this year this year's draft. He's I think the one that has most Packers fans amped up. Yeah, I think that's that's the consensus that I saw when when you guys took him. Did you trade up to twenty one? Yep. Okay. Yeah, we had the it was the thirtieth pick from, that's right. from New Orleans that that they had from that trade uh, the year before, and then I think they moved both fourth round picks to to move up to twenty one and get him. But that was a that was a case of they had their guy, they knew they wanted him, they knew they were going to have to move up to get him. I think Baltimore was going to take him at twenty two, um, hmm. 
I think they had the next pick because you saw them as soon as the Packers came up and made that pick, they traded back out and, and Philly moved up to draft to draft alignment. Right. So, um, and the other connection that I have in there that that makes sense to me is that Milt Hendrickson was the name of a, a guy who was kind of the right hand guy in Baltimore, um, or, or at least he was one of the top level scouts. And I think it was about February, March or so. Um, his contract ran out, and he signed a deal to, to come work in Green Bay for, for Brian Gutekunst because the two are, are old buddies going way back to their days at UW Lacrosse. Hmm. And I, I, I wonder if he kind of had some inkling that, yeah, the Ravens are going to like this guy. we got to get up one spot ahead of them to make sure that, that, uh, that we get him. So that's my theory. I don't know if it, if it holds any water, but Savage has been running with the starters since day one of spring practices, and the Packers generally don't do that. Um, at least they didn't under Mike McCarthy. Who knows if you know Lafleur takes a different approach? But um, he's basically out there saying, you know, be our free safety. We need you to be our free safety, and um, you know, make plays on the football. And so far, everybody's raving about him, and I'm excited to see what he does once uh, once the pads come on. Yeah, and uh, you know, we're talking about the the evolution of players and things like that, and and you need a guy like Savage who can who can you know play and, and come up and play the run, but is also fast enough to to play the pass because you got guys in the division like Tariq Cohen to uh mm-hmm. to worry about and uh when we talked about the tight end uh position you know just talk about think about how much that position has changed like you said with Gronk and you know even even 25 years ago with guys like Jay Novacek that guy was an anomaly he wasn't the he wasn't the rule then you got guys like Tony Gonzalez coming into the league and that the the, the evolution of that position and the I, before we started recording, I told you that I had spoken to Emery Moorhead in the off season. This guy, when he played, was six one, six two, like two hundred and ten pounds. He couldn't be a tight end in today's NFL. Yeah. You know, the tight ends in today's NFL run like deer and are six seven and weigh two sixty. You know that you can't be a tight end at two hundred and ten pounds in the NFL. You can barely be a running back at two ten in the NFL. Uh, these days so I mean this is what he was bringing to the NFL when he was drafted uh, in the uh, I believe in the, the late 70s early early 80s uh, with Emory Moorhead so um, but looking at your other picks uh, we talked about uh, uh, Jenkins the offensive lineman out of Mississippi State he could be he could be uh, he's mostly gonna be a depth guy right now but he could be a starter later on you said yeah, I think that's the goal is Balaga's contract is up after this year, so I think the plan is probably to move Turner out to right tackle next year in 2020 and then put Jenkins in as the starter at, at the right guard position. Um, he played mostly center at Mississippi State, but he's played guard for a couple years. I think his freshman, sophomore year he was a guard. Um, and so that's that's basically exclusively where he's been playing uh, so far this offseason. So, yeah, he's he's the right guard of the future for sure. Right, and then Jay Sternberger, or Berger, whichever that is, yep. tight end out of Texas A&M, was your third-round pick. Four picks in the top 75. That's, that's quality, uh, quality drafting uh, there. And then day three, uh, you got a couple of uh, – you got two, three, three defensive players, and you got another late-round running back. You guys just love picking yep. those guys up. Yeah. Well, and, and Dexter Williams, the Notre Dame guy, um, he's practically a carbon copy of Aaron Jones, which is, I mean, that's that's awesome because you, you don't have to change your scheme around for him at all. He's a great one-cut zone running back kind of kind of guy he's he's real explosive he he might not have the the top gear of some of these other backs in in the league but um he's got that that explosive ability and and 
you know, you hit one hole and, and it opens up and he's gone. Um, and that's that's very much what you've got with Jones as well. So he'll be a good complement to, to Jones and, and to Jamal Williams this year, I think. All right. So overall, how do you guys feel about the draft class? I mean, has everybody softened on Rashawn Gary now that we've had some time to, to step back and, and look at things and what he actually did or what he was asked to do? Uh, at Michigan, is that still kind of looked at as a we should have drafted this person kind of thing? What were you mocking? What were you thinking of the the, the Packers doing at 12? Because I know it wasn't Rashawn Gary. Yeah, I think for now, I think the reaction is, is as everybody's pretty much come around in, in understanding why they picked him. Um, I, I think there's still a little bit of trepidation. Again, I mentioned the shoulder issue that he had last year that's that's still lingering. Um, but I think in general, you look at the class as a whole, and I think for the most part, people are pretty happy with the value they got where they did, uh, the positions that they invested in. Um, you know, honestly, one of the guys that I had most often um, in mocks and things was Montez Sweat, the also oh, yeah. a pass rusher, but the guy who went to um, Washington to Washington late in the first round. And you know, it'll be interesting if we ever actually find out if that heart issue was, was what made him fall, if there were off the field concerns or what, but, um, based on his length, his size, his, his speed workout at the combine. Yeah. yeah I mean, it was like a four, four flat or something like yeah, that. Just... I mean, yeah, I, I thought that was, that was going to be a, a perfect pick because the Packers like athleticism so much, but Gary certainly brings that. And, and I think the other thing with Gary too, is you were, I think a lot of people fell into the trap of looking at him purely as a, a, a lineman, like a 4-3 lineman, rather than thinking about how he could fit in Petten's scheme, which uses these pass rushers in so many different ways. And so the versatility that he brings, just it, it's a perfect fit for Petten. And you kind of think back on it now, it's like, well, yeah, of course that's the kind of guy that they would they would like. He and Zadarius Smith are, are very similar in that that aspect of their game. So overall, I think they've come around, but... Um, if you were asking me who I desperately would have wanted to see fall to 12 who didn't make it, it would have been Ed Oliver from Houston. Sure. Because, um, you know, basically, Mike Daniels is another guy whose contract is up after this year. You plug Ed Oliver in as a three-tech, um, especially in, in a, a two four five setup that the Packers like where he can just pin his ears back and rush the passer, he's going to destroy people. It's going to be – it's just, it's not going to be fair putting – him and his 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 quickness and his strength against you know most NFL guards, um, so I would have loved to have seen him in Green Bay, but um, obviously going going off to to Buffalo at what eight nine. or nine, yeah, um, you know I think that'll be a good fit for him. But but all in all, I mean I, I like the class, I like where they got value where they did, um, and honestly Kingsley Kiki the the defensive tackle they did take in round five out of Texas A and M, um, I wouldn't be surprised if he's if he significantly outplays a fifth round draft pick, um, even in you know, even as a rookie, I think he'll he'll draw some some big snaps, and I think he'll be a solid NFL player in a year or two. So, looking ahead to to 2019, we have some obvious storylines. You know, the Lafleur Lafleur uh, Rogers relationship, and 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 you know Rashawn Gary and his shoulder uh, issue. You know, is is the, did you waste the first round pick? Is he going to be nursing that all year long, or is he going to be able to? to play why didn't he get it fixed and so on and so forth what are some of the other storylines we want to keep an eye on going into the season this year yeah i think i mean this is a bears podcast right so we sure. got to talk about the adrian amos versus haha clinton dicks storyline sure. right yeah um i mean that's that's going to be one that packers and bears fans are going to be at each other's throats about all season long i think <laughs> 
Um, and and I mean, I know which end of that equation I'd like to be on after having watched Clinton Dix play for three and a half years, right. four and a half years actually. Um, I let's just say I was not sorry to see them trade him for a fourth round pick at midseason last year. That was um, that was a welcome sight given how many blown assignments and and missed tackles that that guy had over the last couple seasons. He was he was great in 2016. Don't get me wrong. He was he was a really good player that year. Um, I'm not sure exactly what changed for him in 2017, but he was never the same player again in Green Bay. And you know, I think I think the Bears did a, a good job with the contract. I think you you don't give him a whole lot of money, give him a one year deal, and see if he kind of recaptures some of that that magic from a couple years ago. Um, see if that's still there. But based on the guy I saw the last two years. Um, I didn't want him anywhere near my defense again in 2019. So, um, you know, and, and with Savage being in there at, at free safety, I think Amos is the right guy. I mean, you look at him paired with Eddie Jackson. I mean, he's more of the playmaker, right? Amos was the steady guy. He was the sure tackler. He was the one who's going to always execute his assignments. And when you've got a, a dynamic rookie back there who's, you know, he's a rookie. He's probably going to be prone to making mistakes every once in a while, having kind of that, that, steady Eddie at the other safety position um, I think that can be a, a real beneficial thing um, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how he fits into this defense yeah it should be uh, that is going to be an interesting uh, back and forth uh, this year especially since we face each other week one yep so you know right off the bat we'll get to see uh, how they look you know in comparison how does Amos look against his old team how does uh, Clinton Dix look against his old uh, squad will the change of scenery or the second change of scenery I should say for Clinton Dix mm-hmm. will that work out for him and I think for him it was more about being paired back up with Eddie Jackson like he was at Alabama like that yeah. had something to do with he's got this guy that you know he's familiar with he he's already got that shorthand language with kind of kind of thing and wanting to be a part of what the Bears put together last year which is why he took next to nothing on a one-year prove-it deal to come to Chicago as opposed to Amos, who's making major bank uh, with, with, the, uh, with the Packers. So contract-wise, I think the Bears won, but we'll have to wait and see on who actually won as far as the, the player that, uh, that we got in, in 2019. So that will be yep. interesting to see. Uh, yeah. What else you got for storylines? Well, I think um, you've got the star turn of Kenny Clark, the, the Packers' nose tackle. Um, the, the fact that he didn't make the Pro Bowl last year, I think, was a crime. But um, he is, I think, the best modern nose tackle in the NFL. You don't get nose tackles that can rush the passer the way Kenny Clark does. And the kid's just 23 years old, I think. Um, he's entering his fourth year in the NFL. I mean, he came into the NFL at 20 years old as a fully grown man. And he is he is only further harnessed that that strength and athleticism. So look for him to be a, a staple um, in that that two down lineman formation on third downs, and I think last year it was I want to say it was six sacks, six and a half sacks, um, set a career high. Um, I don't, I'm not going to say he he puts up an Aaron Aaron Donald like season, but he could threaten for double digits for sure. Um, and and having that interior pressure along with the new guys on the outside uh, at the outside linebacker position, um, that's going to be exciting to watch. Um, and, and obviously all the new faces, right? The, all these free agents, um, seeing how they, they impact this team. Um, you know, everything kind of, all those moves came together. 
Um, it was funny because they all came within about two hours of each other, right? On mm. that that day, right before uh, that that legal tampering day. Yeah, the legal it tampering period. Um, yeah. It all they, they all came down between like nine o'clock and eleven o'clock in the morning, uh, Central Time that day. All four of those signings, and it's going to be really interesting to see, um, you know, which of those guys lives up to the deals, um, and just how the how the Packers use those guys and put them in the in the right position to um to really impact games and then finally i mean rogers on his own um i think that's a storyline in and of itself is because can a guy who's turning 36 in october um can he kind of recapture the magic from a couple years ago and and obviously lafleur plays a big part of that but um you know can he stay healthy i mean that's also a big a big thing you look at the last two years he's had major injuries you know, coll- broken collarbone cost him a half of the season two years ago, and then you know the the was it tibial plateau fracture they called it that that was the issue last year. Um, can he when he's fully healthy? You know, it, can he get back to that MVP caliber play? And um, you know that's what everybody's kind of hanging on pins and needles to to see is is can he stay healthy? Can he be that guy that we know he has been? Yeah, and and you mentioned um, you know Rodgers and his and his injury history. It's not really something that's synonymous with Aaron Rodgers, or at least for the majority of his career. This is a guy that took every snap of every single game uh, until a few years ago, when of course people start looking at age uh, being a factor. And even though I think you would agree that uh, you know his legacy is that he's probably going to be the best quarterback in the history of the franchise, despite the love for Brett Favre. Uh, in in Green Bay, he's a much better quarterback than Favre was. Uh, not as mist- he's not going to be the he's not going to be copying Favre's most touchdowns and most interceptions ever in in NFL history yep. or anything like that. He's much more proficient. Hell, the interception that Eddie Jackson got off of him uh, in our Week 15 <laughs> rematch was only the second one he'd thrown all season long. And that here's, one here's a here's a fun fact about that. Both of those picks were deflected by Jimmy Graham over the middle. Is that right? Both wow. of those picks, yeah. Now he should have had one uh, on that last drive in that Week One game. Oh, so, bastard! So How I, dare I, I, you? <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, both both picks and and all all two of them last year were um, passes thrown to Jimmy Graham over the middle that went off his hands and got picked off. Nice, nice. You had to. You, you had, I still wake up nightmares about that. <laughs> Evan, that him dropping that interception was the difference between us hosting a wild card game and having a bye week. We win that game. We're yep. thirteen and three, not twelve and four. We have the head to head over the Rams. They're the wild card team and not us. So, yeah. But then, of look, course, we didn't have a whole lot last year that that went right for us. So that's <laughs> I got to take it where I can find it. Sure. I mean, hey, like I said before, <laughs> welcome to my world. I completely yep. understand. You know, when when your team goes through six and six, nine and one and, you know, like we did five and eleven a couple of years ago uh, and you got to find the, the, you know, the the rainbows and wherever you possibly uh, can, you know, looking at, you know, and the, the sad part is hopefully you guys never get to a point where you have to look at, you know, moral victories as opposed to actual victories as being the right. highlights and like oh look at the way we played against so-and-so in this game and you know all the rest of that yeah, we gave the bears a hell of a scare before they finally put us down you know kind of thing you never want to be in that position you don't want to be that team nope. it's it's hard to root for that team trust me i know so uh yeah like the three and 13 team we had in 
in 2016, there was a lot of talk like that. You know, oh, we should have we should have been undefeated against the AFC South, and instead we got <laughs> swept because we had them by the you know by, by the short and curlies for the majority, and then we just you know we got a bad call here and this, but we should have been four and zero, man. That's we could have been seven and nine instead of three and thirteen. These were actual things I said on tape that I have somewhere on my hard drive because I was looking for the silver lining to the 3-13 and 13 season. So hopefully for your sake you never get to that point where you have to try to find the small victories in the multiple losses uh, that your team uh, has to suffer. So uh, looking ahead to the, uh, to the schedule here, obviously week one, I mean, could you think of a yep. better way to start the 100 season of nope. NFL football? Nope. I mean, honestly – even as a Bears fan, if it wasn't the 100th season of our football, we'd have to do this in Lambeau. Just then it would be absolutely 100% perfect. Right now it's yeah. close. It's like 95%, you know, maybe 90 if I'm being completely honest, just because <laughs> it's new Soldier Field, not the old old school one that I keep seeing on on tape and everything. Uh, uh, you know, that's probably the only thing missing is like the perfect setting for it. It's perfect because it's Chicago, but not so much because I've never really been a fan of the new Soldier Field, but my my one hope is that they actually have the turf in halfway decent shape for that game. Oh, please, yeah, please, that would be great. Yeah, it would. So, yeah. but uh, much like last year, you start with uh, with the Bears and then week two again with the Vikings. Yeah, so that should be fun. Then, mm-hmm. uh, but that's three straight home games. Actually, five of the first seven. Yeah, that's that's weird because. Well, yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a ridiculous stretch there, and then you've got a stretch of four out of five games on the road. And actually, now that I'm looking at six of the last nine games are on the road for yeah. for Green Bay. So you know we've got what two 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 home games after Thanksgiving, right? Um, in those six weeks, which you know it, it's it's a bummer for a team that uh, that has that that cold weather advantage at home. So I yeah, mean, and it is what it is. You yeah, know, what you're, are you gonna do? your last two games indoors at Minnesota uh-huh. at Detroit. So yeah. uh, kind of neutralizes what it is Packer football is supposed to be, right. uh, I guess. So, yeah, I mean, the NFL was kind of wacky with the schedule this year. I mean, there are a few mm-hmm. teams out there. Like I, when I talked to the, the Raiders uh, earlier in this whole uh, opponent preview process, there's a stretch where they're not home for almost two months. Oh, that's right, because they have the uh... – they have the home the home game against the Bears uh, in, in the UK. In, yeah, yeah. In, in England somewhere. Yeah, yeah that, that that that's their one home game in like a five week stretch, and their bye week as Yikes. well. So it's like like week one. I think they're home. It's like week two. Uh, I think actually I think they might be home for the first two games. And it's like week three, week four are road games. Week five is the quote unquote home game in the UK. Then they're on the bye, and then they have like two road games after that. Yep, at Green Bay and at Houston yeah. following the bye. Yeah. So it's like I was looking at the schedule and I was talking to my, <laughs> my Raiders guy and he's like, well, uh, at least by the time the Packers come back home, baseball season will be over and it will be all grass <laughs> instead of some grass and some dirt, you know, dirt field uh, for the baseball diamond. He's like, hey, you got to find the positives where you can. So we'll have all grass out there by the time the Raiders come home it's like but they leave like late september they don't come back to like the first week in november and there are a couple of teams that are like that too yeah so yeah i mean and then looking at you guys you know you want to be home in december in in, Uh in that you know you don't want to be 
uh, home in sep- in September when it's still warm outside, potentially hot, depending on on you know what year. Maybe you get a little Indian summer action uh, going on there. But five five uh, home games before October twentieth is uh, it's kind of crazy, and and definitely not how how as a Packer fan you want to see your team playing most of its home games when the weather is still decent. For sure, and and what that sets up is is the need to start fast. Yeah, right. Is, yeah, yeah. is you know you've got some tough road games following that because after that stretch you play at Kansas City, which that's going to be a tough game Sunday night. Yeah. You play at the Chargers the next week, um, you know, and then you you end the season with Bears at home, Vikings on the road, Lions on the road. I mean that's yeah. a that's a couple of tough tough stretches. And yeah, so you, you you need to think this this team needs to be in a good position at that you know week seven mark or so after that that long home stretch, and and that's a tough ask of a team with a brand new head coach, a brand new offensive scheme, um, you know, to have that kind of success early on, and and against teams that have given them trouble defensively in the past. I mean, obviously Chicago did with Fangio, but then. You know, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. They, they've got a lot of that same personnel back, and and I still, you know, that's still going to be a really good defense in Chicago. Right. Um, Zimmer's always given Aaron Rodgers fits for whatever reason. Anytime uh, he's played him, whether whether Zimmer was coaching the Bengals or in Minnesota, and then week three is, you know, we see Fangio again with, right. with Denver coming to Green Bay. So you know that could be a, a real tough stretch but it could also be an opportunity for Lafleur and company to to come out and show that this offense is for real and and if that happens then then you know if they jump out to you know a 3-0 no start that's kind of a you know hopefully a wake-up call that oh this this is working and and I think that's what that could be only that that could that obviously would be the best thing for for the Rogers Lafleur partnership narrative right is is shoot that in the foot right away and get that out of there if they get off to a good start and and get people to stop worrying about that and just worrying about the results on the field. Yeah, I mean that's that's always kind of the the thing with with new head coaches and and getting off to a a fast start and and you know you don't have the same currency that the old coach have so the same level of patience might not yep. be there especially for a franchise and a fan base like the Packers that's had so much success over the last 25 years. Uh, or so getting off to slow starts and struggling throughout the years you guys just aren't used to that uh yeah. anymore so i mean it's I, I w- it's much harder to deal you, with yeah i will tell you that that packers fans in the last several years have been pretty impatient with with mccarthy with the defense um there's there's definitely a scent there has been a growing sense the last couple of years that um the, the fire mccarthy bandwagon even the fire capers bandwagon before that um, they, they were there that bang that was getting full up pretty quickly in the season, um, <laughs> in, in past years. So, and I mean, I, I haven't even mentioned it with the whole firing of McCarthy, but even though they lost to the, the God awful Cardinals at home last season, I didn't think they were going to make the move during the season. I yeah. thought, I thought they were going to wait until after week 17 and fire him either Sunday night or, or on black Monday. Um, I'm, I'm shocked that they made the change. Um, before the season was out, and I don't know if it actually gave him any help, you know, down the stretch or, or setting up interviews or anything in advance. I don't think it really did, but um, you know, it, it just very much surprised me that the the speed at which they made that decision and, and how how they made that happen with a couple games left. 
Yeah, I mean, we talked about that when, when we had you on for, yeah. for week 15 last year. It was game two or three uh, under Philbin, and uh, I think it was game two. Like, you were coming off like you'd been yeah. the Falcons yep. the week before or something like that, and coming into Chicago, you still had a shot at the playoffs and, you know, an outside shot, but a shot nonetheless. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, you know the the you know, and it was the Packers and the Bears. You can't write that off, even with the way that the Bears were playing. There's there's, you know, I was just looking at some videos of the 2001 team. That team was awesome. It was 13 and three. Two of those losses were to Green Bay. So I mean, we mm-hmm. managed to win almost every single one of our games. We lost the defending world champions week one to the Ravens, and then we couldn't figure out how to beat beat Brett Favre those other two weeks. And so I mean, even when we've been been great. Um, we've had trouble beating uh, Green Bay. They've always had our number, always figured out a way uh, to beat us. So just the fact that we were playing better than you, Bear fans were supremely confident that we could win that game, but nobody would bet their life on <laughs> them winning a Packer game, especially if, if Aaron Rodgers is actually playing. So yeah. um, it's, uh, it's enough to make you uh, nervous. And, you know, we'll see how it goes uh, week one. So it's it's going to be interesting i cannot wait for that game uh to get here um this episode comes out on friday the 5th which will be two months to the day that we kick it off on september the 5th on on thursday night uh football and you know we talked about it before like why i love football and why the game is is so great it's constantly evolving constantly uh changing and we're at the 100th season of of pro football kicking off with the the most storied franchises uh, in the game and and the best rivalry in sports. I think you summed it up, man. I, mean, that's, <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't think there's much more I can say about it than that. Yeah. But, uh, I, I, you you planned out that uh, that that was going to be two months to the day too, didn't you? You know what I or was it able, just a happy accident? It's it's both actually. <laughs> it's both. Um, it's just that you know we're recording this before the Fourth of July holiday, and I have an episode coming out tomorrow on the second. Today's the first, right? Yeah, so tomorrow's the second. I got an episode coming out then, and I like to spread out these opponent previews, give them about two or three days in between, and two days after tomorrow is the actual fourth, so you don't want to release it on the holiday. Release it on the day after, so happy accident, and also what a dink! two months from that day, Bears-Packers get down for real. So uh, looking forward to to all of it. So Because I've been – I think I even told you this when we talked week one last year – was that as excited as I am, especially after the Khalil Mack trade, I think good things are going to happen in 2018. 2019 is the team I'm really looking forward to. I, just something about this 2019 squad I had a special feeling uh, about, just, and it's a gut feeling that hasn't gone away uh, as we've gotten closer to this season to the point where I'm you know, like shaking and anxious waiting for this season to start. I can't wait to see if, if it's going to be all that it's cracked up to be Will the Bears be able to stand up to the to the pressure, or will they will they crumble as they have uh, in the past? So, and, and what part will Green Bay play in that? What part will Detroit and Minnesota and all that kind of stuff? Will we be able to stay healthy like we haven't been in, in the past? And so many questions, and I can't wait to find out the answers. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one, and you know, obviously, we have a lot of different questions in Green Bay that we need to answer. Is sure, you know, the the Lafleur question: Can this offense get back on track? Can can the defense in year two under Petten really, you know, start to improve? Um, you know, if if not for Aaron Rodgers' age, I think you you're probably looking at the first year of a two year, 
you know, project, but you know, every year with Aaron Rodgers is precious and yeah. you know, we, we, you know, you can't afford to waste anything. And, and so, you know, here's hoping this is a, a playoff season and, um, this defense figures it out and, uh, we'll, we'll see how it all unfolds. It'll be fun. Well, Evan, I'm, I'm going to be extremely gracious here, and I'm going to allow you to have the wild card spot. You guys can take <laughs> the wild card spots. We'll take the division like we should, and we'll hash it out in the playoffs. Maybe wouldn't that be awesome? The 100th that, season Bears that Packers. Would. Just and, remember last time we met in the playoffs, hey, the hey, Packers hey, were a wild card. Watch it now. Watch it. <laughs> you brought you, it up. You're a guest, so <laughs> show some respect, damn it. But uh, anyway. Uh, Evan, it's always fun having you on, man. And uh, I'm almost sad that we're playing each other week one because we won't have that much to talk about when we have mm-hmm. you back on. It was almost like we're going to have to do this episode again, only a shorter version of it uh, to preview week one because I don't know if it's a trend that's starting in the NFL, but Nagy did it. There are a few other teams that are starting to follow that trend. Sean McVay does it. He doesn't play as starters in the preseason, so we really won't even know what our starters are capable of. I mean, granted, all the coaches kind of are playing like shielded game plans in there anyway. They're not really showing anyone anything. They're basically just doing the basic stuff, and here we are, and we're just playing the games because we have to kind of thing. Nagy almost didn't didn't put the starters out for almost any of it last yeah. year, so I wonder if LaFleur will follow the same thing coming from the Sean McVay uh, background where that's what he's been doing the last couple of years in Los Angeles. He's not going to play a starters or risk anybody getting hurt. I'm liking what I'm seeing in practice, so they're good. They don't need to play. We'll wait until the season starts before I put my guys out there. What will we have to talk about when we come back and, and talk to each other getting ready for week one? Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, I'm I'm hoping to have some more answers about a few of these rookies. Um, hopefully we'll have a few more ideas on, you know, what the Packers receiving core is going to look like, too. Sure. Um, you know, see, seeing how those roles shape up. But um, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to. I, I I agree. I don't think we'll see a whole lot of of Rogers and company in this offense, and and I, I do think they'll keep those cards pretty pretty close to the vest throughout the preseason. But um, if there's one thing the Packers are always really good about, it's keeping practices open to the public, and you mm-hmm. you have to do that in Green Bay because that's that training camp experience is such a special thing in Green Bay with the bicycles and and, and all that stuff. Um, you know, and, and, and the kids getting rides from the players and, and, and everything. I mean, it, it always makes me happy when the, the list comes out every year of how many practices every team leaves open to the public and the Packers are always right up at the top of that list. Yeah. So it's, it's the, the community aspect is, is such a big part of it up there. And, and, you know, hopefully that'll give us some sort of insights into at least the roles they have in mind for some of these new players. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it, but uh, yeah, week one's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, really looking forward to it, and of course, we'll be, be happy to have you back on to see what we can tell each other about the preseason and, and what yep. little we did learn or how much we did learn. Maybe LaFleur's like, to hell with it. This is my first run. Aaron, get out there, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. Let's see how this offense works, and uh, we'll see what happens, but uh, look forward to having you uh, back on. Unlike our other division opponents, we see you guys right away as opposed to like Jeremy from from Pride of Detroit, I'm talking to him. I don't get to see him again until like November. Like week ten yeah. is our first game against uh, yeah. against Detroit. So it's uh, it's it'll we'll talk to you guys right off the bat, and then we'll have our long break when we meet again week fifteen. So, um, but uh, again, always love having you on the show, man. Despite the fact that you're a filthy Packer fan, 
<laughs> and uh, you know, I look forward to having you back, man. It's my pleasure. Go so, back, go. No, see, no, see. I was gonna ask you where can we keep up with you in the meantime, but now I just want to <laughs> kick you off my show. I just want to get you out of here. So where can we keep up with you in the meantime, Evan? Yeah, you can always find everything we're doing over at acmepackingcompany.com. On Twitter, you can find us at acmepackingco. You can get me at TexWestern. Um, I think that's pretty much the the gamut. So All right. check us out. We'll have uh, you know training camp coming up in a little over three weeks. I'm excited. Yeah, me fun. too. You want to throw yeah. it out there one more time? Yep. Go Pack Go. Go to hell, Evan. <laughs> we'll see you man take it easy remember guys promo code ACAA for $20 off your first purchase from SeatGeek and promo code BEARS100 for your 50% Deposit bonus at my bookie. Always love talking to uh, Evan Western. Uh, it's it's just too bad he's a Packer fan. Then he and I could really get along. But uh, you know, nobody's perfect, right, Bear fans? So anyway, that is uh, that's all we got for the uh, for the NFC North Part Two uh, opponent preview. We move on now to the Minnesota Vikings. And Chris Gates from the Daily Norseman will be joining us to help preview the Vikings. Where did it all go wrong? You know, is does he think that, that Kirk Cousins is a guy that, that can't beat a good team? Does he believe that? Or does he believe that it was something else that keeps the Vikings, or that kept the Vikings, I should say, from winning any games of real significance? And what does he think about the performance they put together week 17 uh, against the Bears? You know, your season is on the line. You're at home, a place where you historically – dominate the bears regardless of the team they put on the field minnesota always wins in minnesota against chicago and th they didn't deserve to share the field with us in that game we dominated them thoroughly except for that little rush they made in the third quarter it was a game thoroughly dominated uh by the bears so um let's see how he feels uh about that also want to remind you guys very excited i announced these at the end of the lion show uh very excited about the interviews that we have coming up Adam Rank from the NFL Network, uh, Carolina Teague from ESPN in San Antonio. She's a Chicago girl, wants to come on and talk about the Bears. Uh, Coach Don Patterson, that's the one I'm most excited about, if I'm being honest. And, of course, Emery Moorhead will be coming back onto the show as well to help us talk about training camp and the preparation and what those players go through uh, and what life is like when you're on, when you're at training camp cut off from your family it's all about football for five six weeks as you get ready uh you know putting in the hardest work to get into to get ready for this long and arduous uh season looking forward to all of those interviews should be a lot of fun should definitely help us fill that gap between the end of our opponent previews and the start of the uh preseason so uh and in case you guys don't re uh, remember coach don patterson former uh assistant head coach to hayden fry at the University of Iowa, was the head coach at Western Illinois while I was there. That's where Coach Patterson and I crossed paths, worked very closely with the football program when I was in the broadcasting department uh, at Western uh, Illinois. And when Coach Patterson uh, left Western Illinois, he was an assistant for a short period of time at the University of the Buffalo at the same time as a guy called Khalil Mack. So 
he's got an insight or two on Khalil Mack before he became Khalil Mack. And I don't remember if Coach P was was still on the staff when Khalil had that bananas game against Ohio State in the shoe. So really interesting to see if he was there for that and uh, what Khalil Mack was like, like I said, before he became uh, Khalil Mack. So we got those to look forward to. But before we get to those, we got our last two opponent previews. First up with the Minnesota Vikings and Chris Gates. Then we wrap it up with our beloved Chicago Bears saving the best for last. Talk about 2018, preview the 2019 uh, season. Lauren and I will cover it all. And God knows when he and I get talking about the Bears, I hope you got a comfy chair and some snacks because we're going to be at it for a while. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to that one. Looking forward to everything. I've been having a lot of fun doing the show uh, this summer. It's, it's thick and humid and disgusting outside so this gives me a reason to stay indoors with my air conditioning and i'm a huge fan of that so that's going to do it for part two of our nfc north preview come back on tuesday when myself and chris gates get together talk about the minnesota vikings and uh, we'll move on from there so until then my name is larry d and this has been bears talk underground The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring... The best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is... And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. 
I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate.